and welcome to CXO Talk. Uh, it's Tuesday, um, June 6th, and um, we have a very special guest for you. Uh, my name is Diane Hinchcliffe. I will be hosting a second CXO Talk on Tuesdays at this time, every other week going forward, so we hope you can join us. Uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce a, a very special guest, uh, a CIO of a major financial institution, ING Bank, uh, Ron Van Kamenada. Uh, is joining us. Um, uh, welcome, Ron. Yeah, welcome, uh, and thanks for that. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. And so, so first, let's let's get things kicked off. Let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, ING Bank. Uh, I'm familiar with it, but not everybody is. Uh, although it's a it's a very large company. And then tell us a little bit about your background um, and and in your history. Yeah. Uh, I'm pleased to do so. And uh, maybe, uh, Diane, before we actually start, people might wonder uh, why sometimes I'm not looking straight into the camera. It's because I have a visual handicap. Uh, I do feel comfortable with it, so I hope the audience actually uh, stops wondering and feels comfortable as well. Hey, having said that, uh, Dion, uh, ING, ING Bank is a financial institution. It's uh, primarily located in Europe. Though our uh, actually our wholesale bank operates globally and is present in around 40 countries. And in Europe, we actually operate retail banks uh, ranging from universal banks and direct banks in about 16 countries. Um, globally, we have around 50,000 employees, around 34 million customers. The top line is around uh, 20 million euros so that would be like what is it 23 24 million kind of dollars yeah, right so that's a bit of the company profile uh, about myself i've been the cio for this company um, over three years uh, before that i actually was the cio for ing netherlands and i joined ing in 2003 when i became the head of internet banking for ing netherlands so I made a bit of a move from the more digital channels into actually the real technology hardcore domain. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, and so, yeah, it was now, was that a, a challenge for you to come up from a, a place where it was kind of a digital native organization into kind of a more traditional financial services institution and, and, and try and do new things? Yeah, actually, ING has quite a tradition, I would say, in uh, digital disruption. As you may remember, we launched actually ING Direct uh, already in 1999, I think it was, in and uh, even two years earlier in Canada. And we were one of the first real large-scale direct banks. Uh, at the same time, we were quite early to the market in terms of mobile banking. So this is a bit of native to the ING organization uh, as a group. I would say. So you know, ING views itself as a, as a relatively competent digital institution already, so it, it wasn't much of a transition for you? Yeah, of course, it is, it is always a challenge. And, and while you progress and while you mature and improve uh, your proposition, you always run into new things and you discover that actually customer behavior yeah, always to a certain extent has surprises in it with you. And uh, people, of course, adjust their expectations uh, while they start using mobile apps uh, like uh, whatever, Airbnb or Uber or Facebook, that actually sets their expectations and uh, they translate that into expectations to, to their bank. So uh, we learn every day uh, and while we do, we need to basically invest in new things, new propositions and again learn. 
Yeah, I, lo I love that phrase. We learn every day. I think that's that's got to be the mantra for for those of us who are trying to lead uh, with technology with the business. So, so you've been in your role for three years, um, and uh, that's uh, that's getting uh, getting on for the, the average CIO. Uh, and you know, usually there's a there's a you know uh, the challenge of the day uh, of your time, and and so you've probably been through a few success successions in terms of challenges. Uh, what's your current mandate and, and role there now? What, um, what, are they, what is the organization really looking at you uh, to lead them through? Now, one of the really thrilling aspects of being the CIO for uh, ING is that basically all technology um, resides uh, in my domain. So I have a full global mandate for all technology supporting the business, um, where maybe in some other let's say industries, the CIO is typically the person responsible for workplace services and HR and finance systems where the core technology resides with somebody else. It could be the head of production or, and, and basically the core IT, so payments transactions or core banking or uh, currency trading, whatever, all technology basically is combined uh, within the CIO domain which really gives me a unique perspective on uh, all of the industries, all of the segments we're in. Basically, all trends and all challenges uh, in the end end up at the same table. Uh, basically, my global management team. So that's really a unique position, I would say, to be in. And from that position, uh, we're actually uh, not just supporting the business, I would dare say, we're actually leading and driving the business as well. I feel as much responsible for, let's say, our uh, customer satisfaction. Uh, and, and by customer satisfaction, I really mean people that uh, come to the bank and put their money at the bank or they apply for a loan versus internal users. Yeah, no, that, um, yeah, that makes sense to me, given that financial services are among the highest users of information uh, technology. Uh, they're, they have IT budgets that are many times larger than, than other types of organizations. Uh, yet, in, uh, in your opening um, introduction, you talked about how other more nimble companies like Uber and Airbnb are kind of setting the bar for digital experience. Um, and, and so what, what are your thoughts on, you know, where do... Uh, traditional financial services organizations that are very large and consequently harder to change. What is the future of digital experience uh, and banking? Um, you know, uh, how are we going to compete with the, the, those nimble gazelles that are going to try and apply those same concepts to your to your world? Yeah, there is actually quite some things we we could discuss about this, but let me start by basically a bit of a mantra. Uh, we truly believe that let's say banking should be as easy as downloading an app. Uh, signing up with a bank, opening an account should simply be as simple as you download the app, you register your profile, and there you go. And uh, I would actually say that even within ING, today this is simply not the case. I think many financial institutions are working on this, but we are actually working on this vision and uh, will appear somewhere soon that actually you basically download the app and there you go. And uh, it should be as easy as that. And I think there the big inspiration comes from these, yeah, what I would call digitally born or web born companies that, that simply launch and scale globally. Uh, and that where I say you scale globally, that's basically the second challenge I would say for any financial institution that is a bit incumbent. 
traditionally we go to a country, we uh, buy a bank or we launch a bank by doing a greenfield. But in the end, you end up with a very diverse landscape of products and propositions and processes and even your technology. And I think what we can really learn while looking at these companies that I refer to, and there is many other examples, these guys simply go out there, put a product in front of the market. You could call it a minimum viable product. Uh, they learn from the customer behavior and they improve. But while they improve, they address basically all of the customers, potential customers on this planet. While many incumbent banks are in, in many cases stuck within their own markets that they operate in. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the so this is the and I think this is the challenge is um, you know the, the the legacy baggage that traditional organizations have are is 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 holding them back. Yet I think that those 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 uh, what we call those gazelle organizations, those nimble startups, uh, they're actually our R and D arm. They're going to prove out uh, new concepts that they can't fully realize on in, in a, a very complicated global environment, and that organizations such as yourself might be able to tackle better. Um, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes I'm very jealous of, uh, let's say, the, the sheer size of the uh, technology organization of uh, these typical, let's say, uh, unicorns, um, where they are extremely successful with sometimes less than 100 engineers. And you refer to uh, financial institutions as being the biggest consumers of information technology. I would actually say that's rather a curse than a blessing. Uh, um, being the largest consumer of technology puts you into a position that you're the favorite stop for the CEO, CEO of a technology company visiting Europe. Well, I, I would actually prefer to be one of the smaller users and learning from the big guys in technology because if it, the saying within this company, if it works for Facebook on their scale, it might actually work for ING as well versus a situation where uh, technology companies basically visit me and say, Ron, you're so big, you qualify for the enterprise class of our technology. That's a scary situation to be in. So I more sympathize with what I can learn from these yeah, nimble, very agile uh, companies. And we, we mirror ourselves and we learn. But actually, I would uh, prefer a great number two position in the whole technology domain and the digital uh, domain than being the number one, basically, in the technology for banking. Yeah, well, I think that's the right place. Um, so, the, um, so what are your digital transformation plans for ING? What can you share with us about how a large bank, and I know that you guys are, are truly global, um, and can you tell us about you know, how long you've been planning them? Are they in execution phases? I know we were talking earlier that you have done some things already. Uh, and then what is maybe the timeline? We just got, people love to know about how organizations are doing digital transformation. Yeah, maybe the most straightforward answer is there is actually no timeline. And you may even be surprised a bit there, uh, Dion. There is actually no program called digitization or even a program called the next generation digital bank. It's, I would rather say, it's more an ambition and a permanent goal then it is per se defining the boundaries of a particular budget or allocation of resources. And the, the real important thing here is we basically learn everything uh, every day, basically from our customers. We learn from the customer behavior. And of course, you need to have your data analytics capabilities uh, ready for that. Um, 
So it's, it's more a permanent transformation, I would say, than per se a program that is limited in time, objective and resources. Well, I mean, this is a conversation that has been, you know, the industry has been having is, you know, is digital transformation a project that, you know, you do it and then you're done, you know, or is it a, you know, kind of a program level construct, um, you know, not to get into too much detail, but, you know, it, there's another point of view that technology is changing and the marketplace is changing virtually continuously so that it, you have digital transformation is kind of a journey that you're just always on. You're always, as you said, listening. Um, you know, what, what, what's your point of view? Is that, is, is that how you're framing it? Yeah, definitely so. And, and maybe to elaborate a bit there, it's, it's way more, I would say, than a pure technology-driven transformation. It's about culture and behavior as, as well. It's about a way of working. How do you create an agile organization that is actually able to learn from customer behavior, to be responsive to that? to have the fail fast mentality and invest into an MVP, a minimum viable product, go out there, launch it, uh, speed is market share. And then if you're not successful, uh, try and improve it. And if entirely failure, pull back and then retry. And that's a, a mentality thing. It has nothing to do basically with technology. Uh, another aspect uh, that I alluded to earlier is while you have more digital contacts and more digital touch points with your customer, you basically collect way more data than previously. And it's having those data there is a simple thing that you, you could throw some technology at that, but learning from it and improving your algorithms and um, basically translating that back into new propositions for your customers. Again, making your decision-making processes and your um, market analysis and your design process based on data and change your decision making, those are the kind of transformations that, to be honest, to me are more relevant than the particular technology or the next feature for the mobile app. Yeah, no, you said two really important things there. And what if we could kind of take one after the other? And the first one was this word culture. And in IT, you know, as a you know, technical technology discipline, we haven't really uh, spent too much time talking about culture. But now that we see that, you know, this is one of the biggest impediments to successful digital transformation is being able to change our mindset and our thinking. You know, how, how are leaders like yourself, how are, you know, how, how are you enabling that cultural change inside the organization? And are these the kinds of soft, you know, human leadership skills that CIOs have really been developing properly uh, to, to be able to cha uh, tackle these challenges? Yeah, it is like you say. It's it's really a, a mentality, and and mentality is the, let's say mindset and, and behavior. And I think as a uh, leader in this company, it, it is really a, a, about your own behavior. If I would basically comment in a negative way on everything that fails, I basically don't encourage my people. Mm -hmm. You could say, okay, if you have invested like uh, 2,000 man years into a large program and after two years you finally go to market and you have a failure on your hands, obviously you feel totally embarrassed. But if you would say, people, simply uh, grab the best technology available, see how it would actually work, see whether you can support this vision of whatever digital marketeer there is. And you, you build it in a couple of sprints, you launch it after three months and you fail. Now, what is the big deal? You, you failed like you invested maybe 
one or two teams for three months. And so your cost of regret go down if you allow people to really go fast to market and, and again learn from customer behavior. And this, this combination of um, uh, your way of working, uh, we could call it DevOps, and the really agile thinking behind it and the willingness to learn from customer behavior if you allow for that, I think you have made a, a huge transition and maybe the, the most important one in terms of digital transformation. But it, it really uh, requires people like myself to be tolerant to failure and allow people to experiment. I'll, I'll give you one example. Traditionally, the CIO is typically the person who sets the standards in technology. And I can actually tell you I don't. Uh, it's the engineers who basically define the standards. And if they endorse a particular technology and they have proven they can be successful, to me, that's a new standard. And that new standard might actually live for a year or through years, but it might actually mean that it lives for six months as well. And then the next group comes along and proves that there is even a better technology to support the business. And turning this basically, this decision-making pyramid uh, totally flip it over and say it's actually the engineers who set the standards and I basically help through a bit of governance to enforce it instead of me setting the standards and engineers trying to circumvent that that's again a total different uh, kind of behavior I think right no it's well it's very true and there's an interesting challenge I think with CIOs in that um, there's too much technology change so you know you have to delegate authority more than you that we did in the past where we really had to have strict control. So everything would work together and, and everything would integrate. Um, and then, but you still have the challenge of then you, you have, uh, you know, the one size fits all vendors, the, you know, the large companies that come in and, and they want to bring in everything, all these different systems that are all that already fit together. And so it, it kind of requires you to, to, to set some kind of consistent standard very high at a very high level in the technology organization. How are you dealing with that? with that, that kind of that, uh, that, uh, that challenge of, of top level and bottom level constraints. You want yeah. to have freedom at the bottom, you know? No, it's, it's really a challenge. I mean, adopting new technologies is in itself a challenge, but we already discussed that a bit, but actually getting out of your legacy environments uh, and doing all the technology migrations and basically unlocking all these propositions from now, whatever, let's say technologies could be mainframe, could be any other technology and transforming from batch based to digital uh, and to fully uh, real time. It sounds easy and in the end there is no rocket science involved, but it does mean a lot of work. And then having the vendors coming in and uh, basically they see their revenue stream going down now, I don't need to tell you, Dion, how many tricks basically the, uh, right. the incumbent technology companies have to force you to stay into that technology. So it is, it is a, a, a battle. I wouldn't call it a war because there is many te technology partners that are actually uh, very much supporting us on this government transformation. But it is a battle every time and again. You need to roll over your conditions. Yeah, no, I, I very encourage though to hear what you're saying. We, and we do see this kind of this more tolerant leadership behavior where we're more motivators and you know conductors, uh, and, and we just we hire really smart people and get out of their way. I, and, and it sounds like that's what you're saying, and that's that's great to hear. Uh, so you said culture was the first thing, and and you said something else that was very important, and that is we now 
how all this data that we never had before. So we actually know what our customers think. We know how our customers behave. Uh, and the challenge, of course, is um, being able to do something with that. What I've seen in most organizations is that they don't have sufficient capacity. They can very quickly generate enough consumer insight that they have work to do for years, and then they stop listening. How, how do you deal with challenges like that? How, how are we going to get past that? Yeah, I think there is this uh, saying of uh, uh, one stupid person can ask more questions than one uh, smart person can answer. And this applies a bit to the uh, whole domain of big data. There is uh, only so many qualified and highly skilled uh, data analysts. And I think as an industry, we're still quite far away where the, the average product manager or marketeer simply pulls up his spreadsheet and it will immediately fire a thousand questions at the Hadoop cluster and the answers will more or less immediate, immediately pop up. That's a, a dream, but it's simply not reality today. So you need to focus attention on the parts that really make a difference. And I'll give you one example, a, a very simple example, and it may be extremely obvious, but if you think about it, it's quite a game changer. So most of our customers check their balance basically three times a day on the mobile, and it, it even goes up to like 12 times a day. And you, you might actually wonder why they do this. And of course, there is this, yeah, a bit of balance fetishism, but <laughs> set aside, these people wanna know how much money they will be able to spend safely. And telling them their balance is basically not giving the right answer because the only answer we give them is what their balance was one second ago or whatever, 300 milliseconds ago. And it's not the answer that they're looking for. They basically do want to know in between now and paying day what their uh, regular spending pattern uh, will be. And the honest answer is we do know as a financial institution, because we know how many times you do your groceries, we know how often you uh, fill up your tank of your car, we know when your insurance uh, payments are due, we know when your mortgage payment is due. So we can actually predict your balance quite uh, specifically per day, even per hour. And that's the part where we become relevant in the sense that we can actually now tell people how much they can comfortably spend over the next 10 days before they will uh, receive the next salary payment when the paycheck is coming in, instead of just uh, being in the rear mirror business and telling them what their balance was. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's a really uh, great example of what you might be able to do. So it sounds like uh, you can, we can, although we can unleash a lot of, um, of reactions to the data. It sounds like you're, you're advocating being able to use it intelligently in the services that we offer and trying to say, where's the highest value opportunities for us to give our customers the information uh, that they would like to have that they haven't had before. Is that the first statement? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think beyond the, that there is a, a, a second element to the equation. And of course, that's again the customer because we can do many things with what is basically their data but we can do many scary things as well. It's not like people are simply used to the fact that we are playing Big Brother and we know everything about them and all of a sudden start putting all kind of interesting propositions and kind of, this is what we know about you. Uh, people need to adjust to that, uh, the fact that a bank can actually do this as well. So there is a permanent interaction play here uh, where we try out simple things 
And while we get the responsive behavior of our customers, we actually learn how tolerant they are versus this more analytical, uh, analytics-based propositions we put in front of them. Because there is a adoption of digital propositions on the customer side as well. Yeah, there's only so many so many things they can they can accept depending on how far along the kind of the, the, the digital maturity curve that they are. So, so I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, uh, so so from uh, moving on to our next subject, um, one of the things that struck me when we looked at um, at your profile was that uh, you are a significant proponent of agile methods and something called DevOps, which for those that aren't familiar with that, that's it's you know, uh, it's combining development and operations so that you have this kind of continuous delivery, can continuous feedback loop from the field and you're dynamically adjusting your, your, your product. And it's very, very exciting topic, DevOps in particular. Agile's been around for a while, but DevOps is new. Why is this so important to you uh, as a technology leader and why is it important to ING? Yeah, you could even argue, uh, Dion, that, that DevOps uh, is simply an IT way of organizing things. It's, it's indeed combining the uh, development cycle as well as the responsibility to uh, operate uh, what is out there as a uh, technology running in the bank. And it's, it, it, is, it is for a purpose. It is to shorten the feedback cycle again in between people who develop things and people who run things uh, because developers are not supposed to throw things across the fence and hope that IT ops basically catches them and, and is able to run it. So I do want to have the short cycle feedback, short feedback cycle between people running things and developing things. And, and we even have teams where developers basically are the, uh, the person of duty for a week. If there is an incident, they need to solve it themselves, which is to many developers quite new. But I can actually tell you that, that we have taken this beyond purely the IT domain. So now my DevOps teams include uh, business people as well. So a typical DevOps team, biz DevOps team, we call it these days, uh, within ING now consists of around eight people. Around three people from the business could be marketeers or product managers, but really people who act on behalf of the customer who uh, have a role as a product owner and like four or five engineers that make things happen that marketeers dream of. And this combination, again, shortens the feedback cycle from people who learn from customers, telling developers what to develop, and people running this, and uh, again, generating the data that help the marketeers better understand. So this whole learning cycle is now organized into basically our organization through the creation of DevOps, biz DevOps teams. So I like that phrase, biz DevOps, uh, and, and, and that is you're kind of adding the end customer into that so that you're getting uh, proper feedback uh, from them as well. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically giving the customer a real voice in teams. And, and I'm by no means saying uh, that engineers are not able to learn from customers. Uh, in some cases, they, they have a better insight in customer behavior than some marketeers do. But what is important, it's in the end a marketeer's or a product manager's responsibility and mandate to make changes to the proposition. It's their responsibility. And I, I had this idea, and there, it's, it's not limited to ING. Other companies like Spotify uh, do this as well. We wanted, again, to shorten the whole cycle of feedback 
and, and take away handovers. And you, you, I think everybody in the audience still will remember or still experiences every day that you have somebody that uh, comes with a customer insight, then you have a marketeer figuring out the proposition, then you hand it over to a product manager who will turn this into processes and a, a typical kind of product that is handed over to the business analyst that hands it over to the information analyst that hands it over to the developer, the tester, then you have somebody to who reduce Yeah, that it. was that, that, that whole linear waterfall process. Uh, but yeah. what I think was really interesting about what you're saying, if I heard you correctly, it sounds like you have these these very tightly knit teams, you know, eight people, I think I heard you said, uh, yeah. that have representation across the whole value chain, right? So from, from the, from the, the per, uh, person in the function, like the marketer, all the way out to the customer, including the developers, testers, and so on. Uh, and this is kind of a model that we've seen quite a bit uh, emerging lately, this, this very lightweight, agile pods. Um, and, and you can, and, you know, powered by, you know, DevOps, whatever. And we're using a lot of buzzwords now. Um, but this seems to be the way to kind of unleash kind of a startup culture inside of organization, kind of that lean startup model where, where you say we're, we're going to have, we're going to fail fast, fail cheap. We're going to do it very lightweight. We're going to make sure we're, we're, it's data driven based on what the customer needs. Is, is that, is, is this one of your, um, is this your plan kind of to have this, this model uh, drive innovation inside ING or, or, or is this one of uh, many strategies? It definitely does drive innovation and, and maybe even beyond innovation, it basically drives the responsiveness to our customers. Uh, you need to do something more, I think, than just implement DevOps and then wait for innovation to happen. It's, it's not that people per se become right. more creative uh, by being organized in DevOps, but they do have more responsibility for the actual proposition of products. Uh, it's, it's like a small family gathering around the table and basically decide uh, what trip you're taking tomorrow. And, and we call it uh, the, uh, the two pizza principle. Uh, you, you, you're not allowed to have more people in a team that can eat of two pizzas. Yeah, Jeff Bezos is famous for saying that. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's stolen from Jeff. Um, but it, it, it's not sufficient to drive innovation. You need to push people forward in their thinking as well. So uh, next to that, we organize uh, frequent hackathons where people are basically encouraged to, for 24 hours, simply unleash every uh, restriction they perceive, uh, fully, let's say, taken away all priority setting, all corporate policies, and people really give the opportunity to uh, to think open and to create anything that is crazy. Uh, I, I encourage them to create cool but useless things, simply to encourage them to to go beyond the next barrier, to go beyond the thing that they day to day basically are responsible for. Um, so there is more needed to encourage innovation and to have this kind of startup culture then I would say just having DevOps. DevOps is an important uh, element. It's a necessary one, but it's definitely not sufficient. Yeah, no, so, so what, I'm about to put a question to you. Um, yeah, it may sound strange, but I think this is the, 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 the natural end game. If we really talk about um, you know, the focus on, uh, on our customers, do you think that uh, the IT department is ultimately responsible for customer happiness today when it comes to engaging with the company? At least all of my uh, engineers do have that target in their uh, KPIs. Of course, we're a corporate, so nobody goes uh, in and out without KPIs. 
but customer satisfaction and the uh, agility to uh, the, the responsiveness to the uh, customer behavior is basically the most important KPI they do have. And they share it with their colleagues uh, from marketing and products. And maybe to, to say, because you, you, you might actually say, hey, is there really an ability of an engineer to influence customer behavior? And my answer would be a full yes. And I had this, uh, this town hall meeting where there were uh, members of all these de- DevOps teams and, and, and a marketeer basically raised uh, the question, why are the engineers um, yeah, basically suffering from what the marketeers are doing in the market? And my response was, what do you think has the biggest impact? Whether the mobile app is up and running or the backends are down or your next marketing campaign. And I think there you have the best evidence um, that there is a direct influence increasingly in companies that are uh, operating fully, fully digital in the, in the interaction with their customers. There, the direct influence of, a, of an engineer on what a customer experiences in, in, in their interaction with the company, that is increasingly so in digital uh, nah, companies, banks, or any other industry. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I think that makes sense. Um, uh, Michael Krigsman and I recently had a chat with the, uh, the, the new millennial CIO of uh, SAP, you know, one of the first millennial CIOs of the Fortune 500. Um, and he was saying that, um, that customer satisfaction was a competitive advantage. Uh, but he was also talking about customer satisfaction with internal IT users because you have a very big constituency, Ron. You've got both, both that, world, that large world out there and you have a lot of internal IT customers that you have to make happy as well. What, what is kind of your view on, on how do you balance that act and how, you know, who comes first? It's basically the flip side of uh, uh, being a digital organization. If you, you can only live your promise to your customers if you're actually making the same promise and, and live up to that promise internally. So joining ING as a new employee should be as frictionless as uh, joining ING as a customer. And uh, the mobile apps that our customer, our, our real customers are using, uh, shouldn't be better than the uh, iPad-enabled internal applications that we offer to our users. Uh, so there should be a, a full similarity there. And to be honest, that is not always the case. And uh, sometimes my internal users, of course, hammer me for lack of this frictionless experience, and they are rightfully doing so. So. Yeah, it's a permanent balancing act because, yeah, who do you prioritize? Is it your internal users or is it your external customers? Obviously, I'm not the only one who is uh, making that judgment call, but I'm a strong believer in that you can only live up to your promise if you make the same promise and the same uh, delivery internally. Yeah, I think that... um... That makes a lot of sense, but it's a, it's a real challenge, especially with uh, things, you know, like uh, shadow IT, which in compliant environments are, are you know, uh, regulated environments aren't as big a deal, but still, no, that's great to hear. Um, so uh, what, in terms of uh, digital transformation and uh, innovation, um, do you think banking is, is right on the train tracks right now, about to be hit by all of these financial, these fintech startups, as they call them? Um, uh, or, you know, is, is, are they creating entirely new places that aren't going to really threaten uh, uh, traditional banking organizations like yourselves? What you, what's your views on that? Yeah, software is eating the world, like Andreessen. Yeah. 
So why not banking? Uh, and actually, I think it's not a matter of whether it will happen, uh, but more how it will actually happen. Um, and this is my bit of a, my personal opinion, not per se ING's corporate uh, statement, but I don't think that there is a single company or a single proposition that will actually all of a sudden kill all banks in the world, like all of a sudden all the dinosaurs disappeared. It, it will be more like, let's say, a death by a thousand cuts. There, there is many agile, uh, globally scalable, web-born fintechs out there that simply try out new business models and that take a piece of the pie every time. And there, uh, whether that's in brokerage or in currency trading or in uh, lending pay mobile payments, whatever. So what is important for more incumbent banks, and uh, we are still one of them, though maybe somewhat more digital, but still we're an incumbent bank. There is two things important. One is we need to create this global scalability as well, because then we have the same kind of ability uh, for time to volume. And the second part is we need to specialize as well. We, we can't be players in every single market, in every segment for every product, because you basically take on too much competition, which in the future will simply not be affordable anymore. Yeah, I, there, um, I think that's the challenge is there's tech changes on an exponential curve, right? Um, and so new products and services come out. We need new models to get there. Uh, and so one thing that, that I, I, I read about you is um, that you're also passionate about creating uh, one collaborative community instead of IT, instead of having an overly command and control um, uh, structure. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this and kind of, you know, you're empowering some of your deputies to make important technology decisions. Well, really, I was wondering if you could kind of crystallize that vision for us, what, what you mean by a collaborative community inside IT and, and how do you achieve that? Uh, what's, what mechanisms do you use uh, um, and where will it take you? Yeah, that's, it's interesting you picked that up actually. So the, basically every CIO or CTO in a, in, a, in a company struggles a bit with the question, do I organize decentrally close to the market or do I fully centralize and create this very efficient um, yeah, factory of development? And I actually wondered whether there was something in between. And um, I think we, we came up with this concept of one IT, not meaning there is just one central organization or delivery center. Um, and then in the process of centralization, basically lose a lot of talent. Um, and in the process, potentially losing the, the contact with the business. So what we try to accomplish and have been working on over the past two years is say, okay, there is really a position for uh, engineers close to the market, and they should interact frequently through these base DevOps teams with their marketeers. But the true value is not in the fact that they create something for their local market. Uh, they should take on the responsibility for creating something that scales globally, that is applicable to basically all markets we are operating in. And every market that would like to make use of that particular proposition should be able to use it fast. So I basically gave the responsibility to the decentral teams to contribute to this uh, global scalability problem of ING. And uh, maybe I should replace the word problem by a challenge, but I, I think you know what yeah. I mean. 
Exactly. And that was actually quite encouraging for them because the centralization effort always uh, yeah, will encounter a, a lot of resistance, which is simply human behavior. And Although you think you'd get some enthusiasm too, right? You get people who say, well, now I, now I can have, I have a little bit of autonomy. I can fix my part of the business the way it, uh, it needs to be fixed with technology uh, because I have, I'm free from you know, 100% constraints. So I, I think you would get both. Uh, but I'm sorry, Ron, we, got, we have a, a question now in from Twitter from the DevOps European Summit. Uh, and the, and they're, they're bringing us back to that question about these small financial services startups. Um, uh, and, and, and they're challenging us again. You know, aren't they really, if you look longer term, going to uh, put the larger financial companies out of business in the same way that we're seeing the Airbnbs and the Uber? I mean, we've seen the proof in other industries. Um, and the, you know, when, when um, this really starts to happen and, ta- uh, and uh, gets underway, aren't we going to see some you know, the, the new Kodaks, uh, new blockbuster videos, uh, but in financial services? Now, yeah, coming back a bit to my original answer, um, my answer was actually that it's not a matter of whether the financial services industry will be disrupted. It's more a matter of how. Um, but I added to that that banks in itself need to adopt, need to specialize, need to find their niche where they want to play. And that could be a large niche globally. It could be a very specialized one. Uh, basically encouraging, and I think this is what our uh, CEO, Ralph Hammers, is uh, basically telling to the market all the time. If we stay the same, we die. So we need to adopt, again, learn from these nimble fintech startups, learn from our customers, learn from their behavior, and adopt our business model, adopt our way of working. And that's what we're trying to to accomplish within ING. We don't want to stay the same. It's actually in the four propositions we have made the central point of our strategy. And the fourth one says we keep on improving every day, step by step. And that's- yeah, well, it, sound, it, it sounds like, if I may, um, that uh, you're, you're not gonna go the way of uh, the Hiltons or the, or the taxi industry. Um, you're gonna, you, you have, your radar is up. You're scanning the opportunity space. You're not gonna get blindsided. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I think that's a very, very uh, pure statement. Eh? So we don't discuss whether, and now I'm just using a couple of names, whether Google will disrupt us or whether it will be Facebook. We basically say we should simply assume that disruption is out there. We may not know the name of the next one who will actually take the next billion out of our revenue top line. But it's a matter of how we are prepared to deal with that and how we find the new opportunities as well. If there is companies out there that can play an important role, why not be the disruptor ourselves and enter into markets where traditionally we haven't played a big role? Yeah. So uh, we're down to about three minutes, and I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, we'd be remiss almost if we did talk about one of the most important topics in technology and financial services, and that would be blockchain, um, the global distributed ledger um, that uh, is kind of uh, um, it's, it's bringing a new, whole new sensibility to tra- uh, financial transactions and record keeping. Has potential to restore, uh, uh, you know, transparency and trust in our financial system, um, and all sorts of other things. What is ING thinking about this, and and you know, what is your view? 
Now, ING is definitely endorsing uh, blockchain. Uh, as may, many of your audience may have noticed, uh, we've joined the R3 consortium uh, last year. So we're an active participant and, and not just by partnering and uh, on this platform, but actually implementing blockchain technology within certain of our uh, value chains. Whether blockchain in the future will be this, now will live up to its promise of being the largest disruptor in terms of uh, uh, technology, fintech technology, yeah, it remains to be seen. I mean, there is a lot of promise in there. There is even, if you look at the, the underlying technology, there is clear reasons why, um, like you said, uh, uh, establishing trust through a uh, basically a collaborative community uh, uh, using the same ledger. Uh -huh. There's a lot of promise in that. The real disruption, obviously, would be if we find the next pocket of a thousand billion of new revenues. That's really disruptive. That yeah. still remains to be seen, whether that's the case. Uh, the number of transactions globally, uh, the, the urgency to make a payment, or the urgency to, uh, the need to have a letter of credit, in itself doesn't change through blockchain. So that's yeah. maybe the qualification I should bring to the table as well. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're saying uh, blockchain is a big thing. The big question is, is how significant, how large is the market? Uh, and, and obviously that remains to be seen. So Ron, I would really like to thank you for, for joining us. Um, this was uh, a great episode. Uh, it's, great, it's terrific to have uh, CEOs like yourself who have a lot of experience in, in domains other than the technology and, and been in, a, uh, in, a, in financial services and can give us this kind of perspective. Um, and so um, uh, thank you again. Um, and uh, don't forget, uh, we have uh, the next episode of CXO Talk uh, coming this Friday um, at 3 p.m. Uh, Michael Krigson will be hosting that show with uh, Uber analyst uh, Josh Burnoff, uh, who will be on the show. Uh, and thanks for joining us.